Haggai, if you would go to Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, and just go a few books into the Old Testament, which really is just a few pages back to the left, you would find the, the book of Haggai in your Bible. Um, so this is kind of a, everything is weird, right? Everything that we do here lately is it's just odd, it's just different. And so, so today is a very different. First of all, it's very different to not be able to see anything other than your eyeballs. Some of you, your bald heads, but most of you, just, just your eyeballs, right? And um, so that, that's kind of strange to preach. That, that may even be stranger than preaching to just a camera with nobody else in the audience, to be honest. Um, and so, so that, that's very unique. Another thing that's interesting today is that because of the way that the Eastwood is with two, two churches or two, one church in two location, um, we, we've alternated on our live stream to give Pastor Ben, who is out at the South Campus, and me the opportunity to, to go back and forth to connect with you. And so the way this month has fallen, we've been working through the book of Haggai, and with Mother's Day um, falling right in the middle of the month, that means that Pastor Ben has preached two of the three sermons in Haggai, and I've preached a different text at the drive-in service for Mother's Day. And so I'm going to preach my first sermon in the book of Haggai, which is actually the last sermon for the book of Haggai. And so that's very different for a preacher to just preach one sermon in a sermon series. But, but, but I, I don't, and I also don't really know if you follow it along, where, where you've been, um, because we, we knew how many people were watching, but we didn't know who was watching necessarily on that live stream. And so, so let me just catch you up real quick here as we finish this book of Haggai. Haggai comes about four, a little bit, about 450 years, something like that, before the birth of Jesus. It's about 50 years before the silent period, when, when the prophets stopped speaking in Israel. God stopped speaking in Israel. Haggai is, is written on the tail end of, of a time of captivity by this nation called Babylon. The, the Israelites have disobeyed God, they've fallen away from God, and God has punished them by sending them into captivity. And the transition is happening that the Persian Empire has come and that they are now taking over the Babylonians and eventually uh, the Persians will give way to the Romans and will set up for the birth of Jesus. During this time, the, 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 the Babylonians have allowed the Jews to live in many of the same ways, but, but not necessarily totally in, in the sense of their, their worship. That They don't have a temple. That The temple has, has been destroyed. That, that was such an important part of their lives as Jewish people. And the reason it was so important is because the temple represents the presence of God among the people. If you think back, if you know your Bible, if you think back to the Old Testament times, that, that all the way back to when Moses is leading the people through the wilderness after they've left Egypt, that they, they began sort of a, a form of this in the tabernacle, that the presence of God, that there is a sort of a house that, that is set up, a tent that, that is created, and that's where God's presence would come down and, and dwell. God would dwell among his people there. And then, then we fast forward through the Old Testament, and King Solomon, uh, God gives him the, the privilege of building the, the great temple that stood for many, many years in Israel. And it finally comes to its end. And now God's people are found again without a temple, which which means the presence of God is not in their midst. And the book of Haggai comes to a point where Israel has just sort of shrugged their shoulders at that. that. That they've begun to live their lives, that they've pursued building their own homes, pursued their own lives, so much so that, that in the opening passage of Haggai, 
they are called out because they have built onto their homes. That they've added onto their homes. They're beginning to make them, as much as they could, more luxurious and nicer. But yet, the temple has not been restored. And, and, and the picture here in Haggai is that the people are improving their lives and they are neglecting their relationship with God. That they, they, they are neglecting the pursuit of God. And the last few years uh, coming up to this book, while they have been able to develop and to grow, it's come at great effort that they have invested twice as much and only received half of that back. That they, they've put up a hundred bushels and only found that 70 survived when they went back to the storage to, to draw from it, to eat from it. And so the people have been working hard, but, but in the book of Haggai, God says that it's like your, your money bag has a hole in it, right? Have you ever had a hole in your pocket? And you didn't, the only way you discovered that was because your change fell out of your pocket in your pants as you walked. And so I know I've been there, and so I have to walk with my hand in my pocket to plug up that hole to make sure my change stays in that pocket, right? And God says it, it's as if your money bag has a hole in it. I'm the one who put that hole in your money bag because I'm trying to get your attention. And through the prophet Haggai, God gets their attention. Anything going on in this world where God may be trying to get our attention? <laughs> I mean, maybe it makes a little bit more sense why Pastor Ben and I talked about doing a, a book like this during this time. And so as we look in this text, what, what we come to understand is the people have repented of forsaking God and that they are now beginning to do the work that God's called them to do. That they're, they're turning toward God and they're, they're pursuing that faithful work that God's called them to do, which is to restore the temple so that he would have a place to dwell among them. But it's interesting, even then, God wants to remind them that he is the one who is to be worshipped. Not, not their work, not their deeds, not their actions. That, that he is the one that brings righteousness. He is the one who is to be their source and their foundation. And so we, we just kind of catch this story midway through and we're trying to wrap this up. And so I want to hit some high points for you in Haggai chapter 2. So this is on the back side of the story. But, but, but we come here to this text in verse 12. And the Lord says to them in verse 11, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches his, with his fold bread or stew or wine or any kind of food, does it become holy? The question here is, so you're doing something that appears very religious or very holy, like rebuilding the temple. Maybe, therefore, you would think that that will just rub off on everything else that I do around me. But God is asking in a very physical way. He's asking the priests... If, if you were to take the holy meat from the temple, the, the, the meat after it's been sacrificed, that the, 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 the priest would take a portion of that meat. If you were to take that holy meat and if you were to carry it in the garment, in the fold of your coat, of your outer garment, 
and you were to take that home, does the napkin that you use to wipe your mouth become a holy napkin? Does, does the plate that you use to set it on become a holy plate? We, we tend to think those kind of things, right? I, I think back, I, I've mentioned this before over these last few weeks while I've been with you, that in 1994, I remember when President Bill Clinton stood right here and he delivered a sermon or a, a eulogy of Congressman William Natcher. I, I remember when that happened. And I also remember that after the president left out the fellowship hall door, that Greg Swack went to the fellowship hall door and he got the napkin that Bill Clinton's drink, his water glass, sat on. It had the presidential seal on it. I don't know if he still has that or not. He does. I mean, he's saying he does. We tend to do that sort of stuff, right? I mean, why in the world would someone want a scarf that Elvis had sweated all over? But people wanted those kind of things, right? And we tend to think that, that if I could just have something that was holy, that was special, that was sacred, that somehow it would wipe off on me. I doubt any of those folks who have one of Elvis's scarves could sing like him anymore than they could before they had a scarf that Elvis had sweated all over. And here in this text, God is, is trying to clarify with his people that a holy action doesn't make a person holy. Maybe another way to say that, a religious action doesn't make a person holy. Just coming to church doesn't make a person holy. What is it to be holy? To be holy is to be separated. It is to be pure. It is to be unblemished. But when we think about sin, when we think about the, the, the system of business and, and, and how we step on someone to further ourselves in the world around us. Holiness is the opposite. Holiness is that we live in kindness. It is that we, we, we live in justice. It's that we live in truth. It's that we live in righteousness. It's that we live pure lives. And the only one who ever does that fully is Christ. None, none of us do that. We all fall short of living a holy life in the fullness that God desires for us to live it. But here God is warning his people, be careful, even as you do what I've called you to do, which is to restore this temple, even as you do that, don't think somehow now you have arrived spiritually. And so that, that's the first place that, that we see here in Haggai chapter 2, that, that God wants his people to understand. And, and, and he begins to unpack this mystery to them. They, they have wondered, perhaps, we're the people of God. We've, we've been doing all this work. Why is God not blessing us? And so, so he's brought them to the point where they understand now that they have not pursued him, but instead they've been pursuing themselves. And now he wants to pull the veil back a little bit farther for them. We, we wish God would do that often, don't we? We would like to know, why did there have to be a coronavirus? We would like to know why there had to be a World War II. Why, why did there have to be a Holocaust? 
God, why, why did that have to happen? Lord, were, were you trying to do something in that? Was that just pure evil that, that caused that? What, what was happening? There are lots of questions that we have in life. And, and from time to time in the scriptures, God speaks into that. And he tells specifically what his purposes were. And this is one of those specific times. If you look there in chapter 2, look with me at verse 14. He says, actually in verse 15 of chapter 2, Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple. So before you began to become faithful and obedient to me and rebuild the temple, before then, here's, here's what was happening. When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight, and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. God is saying to them that all of those times that, that you realized your money bag had a hole in it. When you would go and you would work hard and you would bring the crop in. And unexpectedly mold would grow and would ruin a part of the crop. Or even though you had done everything that you knew to do to protect it from mice and rats and, and, and pests that would come in and, and would eat part of your grain or steal part of your crop, they came in and they got it anyway. God said it was during those times that I was at work to get your attention. Now, listen, that might sound mean. I mean, if, if, we're not, if we're not children of God, then, then that may just reinforce that judgmental, angry God that, 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 that maybe you've thought is the God of the Old Testament. But I can tell you that there were times when I was a kid that I needed to hit the wall. And my dad was the wall. And I needed him to be that buffer for me. To serve as the wake-up call. Because my attitude was not what it ought to be. My actions were not what they ought to be. And that discipline that he brought into my life is what turned me around. It's what helped me wake up and understand that, that things needed to change. There are times in the workforce where a supervisor needs to sit down with the employee and say, these are the expectations. This is what you've agreed to do. In fact, this is what you used to do. We can point back to this level of work. Something has happened. We need to get it resolved. Because this lesser than action is not going to be sufficient. You see, that's what God's doing in here. God's not just being angry. God, God's not looking to just punish people for no reason. Why, why, did, why did my dad discipline me? The Bible says that, that a father disciplines out of love. Sure, it can be sinful. And it's not discipline when it's done sinfully. It's called abuse. But when it's done in a God-honoring and, and, and a right way, it's love. 
to protect me. My parents taught me to respect them so that I'd respect the police. So that I'd respect the judge. So that I'd respect my boss one day when I grew up and had a boss. God is calling his people here to wake up and to focus back on him. And he is not afraid to shake them. To wake them up. And that's called love. I don't know what's happened in your household these last few weeks. I don't know about your own life. But I can tell you, I can just speak for me. I've done some thinking. I've done some soul searching. I've done some reevaluating things. Things that have been taken away in just a moment. That there are things, that there are ways that, that I responded to situations during this coronavirus pandemic in March that I wouldn't respond the same way if it happens again in October. There are decisions in life and in family that will be different going forward. I wonder if you've spent some time in evaluation of, of looking at your life. Maybe you thought before that just going through the motions of religious activity made you holy. But, but maybe you would come to this point today and realize that perhaps I wasn't as holy as I thought I was. I was just trying to fool everybody else while I pursued my own ambition. While I pursued my own kingdom. While I pursued my own fame. And now God has turned me upside down. And he has brought us to a point to where we have to be a little bit more honest about what we see in the mirror. And so as we look at this text, we come to understand that ultimately what God is trying to do is to help them, is to lead them in a way that, that would truly lead them toward righteousness, that, that would truly lead them toward holiness. And, and what we understand from the book of Haggai is that repentance and faith is the way to holiness. Repentance and faith is the way to holiness. In chapter 2, verse 19, he, he's already said things are different now. Now that you are beginning to rebuild the temple, I want you to know why this happened previously, but now things have changed. And in verse 19 of chapter 2, he says, Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. God will walk with them because they are now walking with him. And you say, how do you know that? Well, what's the evidence of that? Well, over in chapter 1 in verse 12, we, we see Haggai is there. He's, he's with Zerubbabel, it says in verse 12, the son of Shealtiel, that's the king. And Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, that's the high priest. And all the remnant of the people, that the people are all gathered there. And they are all committing at that point forward that they will obey the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared him. But when I see that they will obey God, what I hear and understand is they are now 
going to walk with God in obedience. They are going to turn away from selfishness. They're going to turn away from sin. They are going to walk with God. And you say, how do you know that about going forward? It says, because they feared the Lord. They're going to walk in obedience with Him. They want to do what He's called them to do. And so repentance and faith to go forward. We're going to turn away from sin. We're going to turn away from selfishness. And we're going to walk with God now. It's interesting in this text from, from a, someone who likes to study Scripture. And if you'll give me just 30 seconds of going deeper than just what's right here in our face. But, but, but come to understand that, that Zerubbabel, the king, Joshua, the priest, and Haggai, the prophet, all coming together is very significant. We, we rarely see all three come into agreement in this form in the Bible. And when I see that, I can't help but think about the fact that Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, if you were to read Matthew chapter 1, the, the, the lineage of Jesus, the ancestry of Jesus, Zerubbabel and his father Shealtiel are in that lineage of Jesus. That means that Jesus is a descendant of this king Zerubbabel. And it's so interesting to think about the king and the prophet and the priest there together. Because in the book of Hebrews specifically, the writer teaches and unpacks for us how Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. That they are all together committed to follow the Lord. And we come to understand that Jesus is that Lord. He can stand in that place. He, he can lead us in every aspect of our lives. And so here in this text, we, we see that, that just like the Israelites were called to repentance and faith, we are as well. Through the gospel, through, through the fact that that. We have rebelled against God, that, that we have gone off our own way. But God, because of His great love and because of His kindness, He has pursued us. He has sent His Son, Christ, to pursue after us. And Jesus came and He, he lived in perfection. Which we couldn't do. He, he was always obedient to the Father. Which none of us can, can accomplish. And because he was always obedient. The Bible says that, that he, he is our substitute. He, he's, he, he's our substitute on the cross. We, we've probably heard about that. But, but he's also our substitute in right living. In faithfulness. In perfection. And you say there, there's no way that, that God would ever forgive me. Well friend God will forgive you. But he can't forgive me. I've done too many bad things. Listen, when he forgives and, and washes away your sin through what Jesus does for us on the cross as our sacrifice, it's not just the forgiveness that, that he gives. It's the righteousness. It's the perfection of Jesus. So that when God looks on you, he sees mercy. He sees grace. But he also sees holiness because of Jesus. And therefore, you can walk in right relationship with Him. 
And the call to do that is to confess your sin, to ask for his forgiveness, and to follow after him. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe this morning, maybe you've just been waiting to get back to an in-person church service because you have been determined that things need to be different in my life. This morning, we're not going to give what most Baptist churches give as a typical invitation because of all the people and the social distancing and things like that. But what we're going to do is this. We have two two options for you. First, we're going to sing a couple of songs in just a moment. And when we're finished with those songs, then Pastor Ed's going to come up and he's going to dismiss us. If you'll just stay there for a minute. We're going to look around, and if somebody's just sort of hanging around in their seat, then, then we're going to come and ask you if, if you'd like to talk. And so just, just hang out for a minute. We won't point you out. We won't embarrass you. Just hang out for a minute. Or another way, if you've got your phone handy, you can do this. Maybe you just cannot stick around right now, but you'd love to talk to somebody. Grab your phone. And real quick, get ready to send a text message. You can send it to this number, 270, I thought I had it, 279-1031, 270-279-1031. Just text the word Jesus to that number, 270-279-1031, and we'll follow up with you this afternoon and try to look toward a time to get together, 270 279 1031. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for the opportunity to be together in this room again. Lord, we pray for those who are in that high risk or in that vulnerable category, and so for them it's going to be a few more weeks before they gather. Lord, we pray that, that you would continue to care for them, to watch over them. Lord, we pray that, that you would guide us as we go from this place. Father, we we thank you for your faithfulness, even in the midst of difficulty of, of such a hard period of this season has been in our lives. Lord, you have been faithful, and, and so we, we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that, that you would help us to move forward as different 